because I now I sit upstairs and people come to that desk and ask like, oh, what should I read? And often they'll say educated. And I'm sitting, listening to like Hamilton, full blast, typing <laughs> away. And then I look up, no, well, you should stretch before you read it. It's very stressful. <laughs> she brings me glass castle like she doesn't know me. <laughs> That is the full library experience with Sandy. Oh, there's so much I love about that. <laughs> no, there's a lot to love about that. I, I aspire to be, I feel like I'm not trying. I feel like it's coming relatively naturally. I aspire to be that person in my town. <laughs> no, I think that's what's happening. You're becoming a fixture. You're becoming. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's the finance lady who yells about books. Yeah. <laughs> but only if she hears certain keywords. Oh yeah, yeah, she's very SEO driven. <laughs> it's like my own little, what are they, Google Educated alert. Results. Scratch. Changing things though. up on because money. I know what. <laughs> I was talking to Seth about it this morning, and was talking to him about kind of when people become common law. And he, in his mind, he just kind of thought that common law was a thing that you had to decide to do, and that it happened after like five or six years. Yeah. And he was, he was quite. He was like, I'll bet you a lot of people don't know that. And I wonder. I actually don't know. Like I don't know what family law is in Pennsylvania, so maybe. It is different there, much in the same way that it's different in Quebec. But yeah, I, I, he was very surprised to learn that it was something you could just kind of inadvertently do by living together for a year. <laughs> I don't, I do not think he's the only person. And I no. definitely have had that same experience having conversations with people and they do not think it's a year. Mm -mm. <laughs> they do not, like, it's like, I, I don't know exactly what the common numbers are out, but like three to five, like more, like a year is not like that seems like way low and even anecdotally to me it's like all oh, right that's like that's not a long period of time like you can cap you can live with somebody for a year and not quite know if this is like a relationship that you know it's it's a milestone that's on the road to hey are we really committed and you can't you could have had not had that conversation before that so yeah i think there's lots of people that's well, and I think some of the surprise too comes from a, a little bit of confusion around what happens if then you break up, right? So that like, now suddenly do I have to give half of my things to them? Yeah. Or all the, I mean, really, I, I remember, I remember a, a conversation when somebody that I knew, their relationship was ending in a very dramatic way and I was having a conversation with somebody else who a couple of years later I realized he was like cheating on his wife all the time and just wanted to leave but he was also extremely cheap so his ears perked up in a way that I have never seen or experienced before oh really oh oh they couldn't oh he couldn't just take over the mortgage oh interesting <laughs> like oh you're very interested in this. But I think it's an interesting kind of way to start the conversation around, you know, relationships coming together and potentially ending, because this is another conversation that's incredibly difficult to have with somebody that you're dating um, or that you're together with for a while. This idea of 
how do we have this conversation about whose things are what when the kind of underlying conversation is, what if we don't make it? Um, or it seems like that's the underlying conversation. And um, that's like, that's gotta go up there with, with out of all the financial conversations that are hard to have, like that's a tough one to kind of lay it on the table and be like, hey, let's talk about this just so that we're all clear if we break up that, you know, we, we know these are my assets and, and it doesn't necessarily need to be that clinical, but that's kind of what we're brushing up against when we start talking about these topics. Because people like to not talk about it at all and then afterwards hope that they can just kind of figure it out. And that's where a lot of the stress comes out in these situations. Added to the other stress of the fact that you're ending a relationship and no matter how that ends, that's gonna cause stress for you. It's, and right, so we before we started recording, you were talking about the frustrations of how learning something isn't linear. You don't like, you know, you start to learn a language and you start with like, I am, I am blah, or cats and mats and ants and pens and feathers and things like that. Um, that's not really how people enter into a language if they're, you know, like dropped into another country or whatever. Um, I had a point. And the point was, when you read about kind of proper relationship hygiene, one of the things, one of like what very excellent thing to do is document what your assets are before you get into a relationship because of this, you know, like, well, if it ends, then you know what you came to the relationship with and you have documentation. It's really easy to sort out. Um, that's great. Except for I'm three years into a relationship and I'm thinking about ending it. And I didn't know that ahead of time because I wasn't entering it thinking it was going to end, you know? Uh -uh. that relationships aren't linear. <laughs> well, no, and it's, it's a nice, it's, it's another one of these ideas that that's, that's, a, that's a great idea. This is the lovely thing about dispensing advice. You, know, you can give perfectly clean clinical advice that is kind of unimpeachable. And that's a good piece of advice. And if you can do that and that makes sense for your life, that's, that's great. Um, I'm sure that there's all kinds of situations that people can think of where that just doesn't seem possible or it didn't happen or it's not possible to in reverse. Um, and so it, it becomes, yeah, it becomes interesting. Is that like, what do you do next? And that's when people start diving into these, like, wait, they're entitled to what? And finding, at least my experience on kind of just, you know, financial planning always touches on these things, but we're not experts in divorce law and separation. And, and I know that some planners deal with it more often. This is not something I do with my practice grab but kind of the generalities of it is they're trying to figure out exactly what you're describing is this like idea of what is fair. Um, that's probably a very generous interpretation of, of the law around this, but they're trying to be like, okay, if you were working the whole time and they weren't, and they provided non-financial benefits that there may be for these assets that were kind of grown during this period of time, some that you might have claim to. Um, and it's rarely, I don't know, it, 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 have you found this is rarely like, there's really specific 20% is what you're entitled to, or, you know, just 15% off the top for the following actions. And this is how we separate it. Uh, or are there more satisfying numbers when it comes to kind of like something to cling on to and trying to make those things align? Well, I mean, if you, if you want to, there are forms, I think it's called form eight in Ontario. There are family law, the kind of the financial disclosure and then it's family support tables that, that form the default for specifically separation and divorce. Um, 
And so if you were, I mean, to me, the person that I think of when I think about entering into a topic like this is somebody who's been together for three years. They've made some decisions that now they're not sure of, and they have other decisions that are coming up that they just think like, oh, I have realized now and I need to make these better decisions. A, a possible useful sort of formula is to go look at those family law support tables. Because again, those are, those are meant to be the, the, like the starting point. Um, you have to make a really good case for deviating from them. Cool. But it's useful. I think, that, I think the thing that I experienced the most in any of my financial kind of services career was back in banking when there was a shared um, liability of some kind. And people would come in and say, but I'm not, I'm not with him anymore. Um, I want his name off the loan. Or I want my name off the loan because that's not, you know, he took the car. It's not mine anymore. Um, and the, and the hard ass truth of banking is your name is on it. And I don't care about your relationship with the person that you're with. You now have to qualify on your own or he has to qualify on his own. You're, you're on this loan together until it's paid off. And there's no mechanism for like splitting liabilities in the same way that there's a mechanism for splitting assets. You get this amount, you get this amount, we split it up, now it's yours. You can't, the bank isn't just gonna say like, oh, well, yeah, you had to qualify with two of you, but now either one of you can take it. That's just not how banks do things. So that was always, that was just an enormous, frustrating, horrible surprise. And over time, I just kind of dreaded, started to dread those conversations. You don't, most people don't go to the bank really thinking about what exactly the agreement is that they're making it's just you get a loan you go get a loan and that's not that's not on i don't think that's people being sort of dumb or whatever i think it's just uh one of the things that happens in life i go buy groceries this happens i go get a loan this happens if your name is on the loan people just sort of assume that it's because of your relationship not all I mean, not all the time but often you know, people don't think about, it took these two incomes to qualify. It took these, this, these two credit scores because this one wasn't great. Or, I mean, all of the rules around what would make a bank open the purse strings and give money to somebody are based on the agreement that the, the somebody's whose names they've given the money to are going to pay that money back. It wasn't just one person. It was those two people. So it's all, it was every single time it was a surprise. And I wonder if that carries more weight for people that are splitting up, whether they were married or not. Like I, I'm thinking when you explain that, like my own parents, so I have a very small sample size for this, but um, like you can separate or divorce and you can get certain amounts of assets. But I feel like those liabilities that you have to figure out can almost be a bigger weight because you have to figure it out. And there's some idea of having to take on more debt. And not even just my parents, but seeing people split and now they have a mortgage again, or now they have a bigger mortgage, or now they have a bigger car loan or whatever it is. And that just somehow, I feel it can weigh on people more than even getting half of a big chunk of money. And then that can really affect like kids in a dynamic or just like lots of different things going forward that, yeah, we just don't think about at all. Mm -mm. I think you're exactly right though. It's that whole, well, I mean, there's a lot of feelings around mortgages in particular, 
um, and the idea that in your mind, okay, I have, this is my runway. I'm this far away from having it paid off. Isn't that going to be great? You have, I mean, like anything else, you have this picture in your mind of what your life is going to be like over the next five or 10 years. And then everything is different. I mean, two incomes even. Uh, what your life is like with two people, forget, I mean, even forget about incomes. What your life is like with two people doing all the things that are needed for a life to happen. And then, and then now it's just you. Your everything is different. No, I mean, not all the time. Maybe you're not com completely dependent on each other. Of course, I'm thinking of my own relationship in my head. Um, and we're completely dependent on each other. <laughs> I would eat a lot of canned food. <laughs> <laughs> and he wouldn't have any money so <laughs> but really I mean it is it's an entire it is entirely different and the I mean of course the financial aspects make it even harder to deal with a, a totally different life yeah. it, it becomes another one of those things where it's like the purpose of planning is to try to move the time that you make the decisions to another time right like to take it out of a stressful time and to try to put it before that time when it's stressful when you can actually kind of think about something with your proper brain instead of at the time when all these things are potentially happening and you can't really unreasonable to kind of put that expectation on yourself and so that's what I'm trying to apply in my mind and be like okay how obviously that kind of relates to that this is a good idea to think about before like in all kind of things but um you know, how, what does that look like? Um, what are the things that would help to know going into this thing and uh, kind of going into a period? And it, it does feel like what some of these forms and some of this kind of laying out of assets or just knowing your numbers or whatever that is, it like, if you can set the right expectation, I feel like, and this is kind of from a few cases that have touched my life, you know, where some of the stress around money and assets comes out from different levels of expectation like no no I thought that it was going to be like this I thought that I was going to get half this money or I thought this was our money or I thought this asset was both of ours or I thought that I'd be able to get away from this loan and so the more you can know about how that actually works for yourself beforehand whether that's through a conversation which is a lovely idea to be able to sit down with your partner and talk about that or whether it's just on your own to kind of be like look I I'm going to get a better sense of what I own so that I can say I kind of know I had this beforehand and I kind of know my balance and my savings account was this, you know, a month before we started dating, even just a general knowledge will really help. And then starting to kind of pinpoint the things that would stress you out in that situation. So it's a kind of a game of imagination and then trace back the stress instead of trying to solve all the problems to be like, Oh shit, we have that, that loan together. What would happen in that case so that you can start to build expectations that make sense. Like I know that I'm in the realm of, of like, perfect solutions a little bit, but I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what, what kind of information, what planning would help decrease the stress load when the stress load is really high in the case of a, a separation in that period around that. I mean, it's such a boring thing to say, but you said it already in a way, like knowing your numbers, if, if strictly financially, I mean, this comes back, this comes back to the idea of kind of financial dependence as well. If you, if you are, if you know your own numbers and you are, no, sorry, I'm trying to say 14 different things at once. That's not going to come out properly. Mm -mm, mm -mm. 
but that makes me (laughs) but that made me think of knowing your own numbers too just as far as lifestyle and budget like you're together you're building a life you're sharing all of these expenses and if that ends just knowing like for me I was technically common law with a partner once and that was a surprise to me at the time it was filing my taxes and I was like oh wait we've been living together for more than a year. I feel like that means something because I already had that in my brain somewhere. And like leaving that, it became a thing. Like I was fortunate at that point, I was already tracking my numbers. I had a budget. I knew how much I spent, but I was sharing rent with someone in Toronto. So that was a lot less than living on my own in Toronto and having to you're going through a breakup, which is not fun. You're at like peak mental capacity of a lot of things and then have to figure out like, oh, but we share a car. So how does that work? And like, now if I want to live on my own, that means my rent's going to be double or I have to find a roommate or what does that look like? Or, oh, I was actually working less because he was working more. I was working more because he was working less. And like, there's so many things. And it comes back to that finance is not linear. If this was the first time that you were ever getting into your numbers while you were also going through like a very hard thing. And I've also seen that a few friends recently are helping care for family members that are really sick and how that's just like, that can just like rip through your finances because you can't work as much and all these other things. And like, Oh, am I applying for EI benefits? And like all of this stuff that you get hit square in the facing, um, in an already difficult time. So yeah, I feel like even just there's obviously the the loan stuff and shared assets, but just how it affects your lifestyle and your day-to-day mm-hmm. budget in general is is pretty big. Well, I mean it relationships and feelings and like they all of those things impact you whether they're good or if they're not good. So the idea that, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to, all my finances are this thing and my relationships and my feelings are this thing over here and they are the twain shall meet is of course not accurate at all. So I think it goes, it does, it goes back to that making decisions for yourself while you're as much as you can setting up, giving yourself the tools and the muscle memory to deal with something in the future, whether that something ever happens so that you don't have to learn it and go through it at the same time. Um, is again one of those like well if you could go back in time I would tell you to do this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I do want to make a, a distinction between kind of common law for the sake of taxes and tax benefits and common law for the sake of property division because they are this is a very good distinction yeah. two very different things. So common law, you, you know, you can claim together on benefit programs and divide credits and claim each other as dependents, all that kind of fun stuff to the federal government after a year of living together. But depending on the province that you live in, number one, you might not have any claim on each other's assets at all, unless your name was on it somewhere. Um, or there's some kind of like unjust enrichment where somebody just like yeah, took advantage of you for a bunch of years. Um, but it's, it is different. Um, the length of time is different for the feds and the CRA than it is for like family law. I remember finding that really interesting when I first stumbled across it. I was like, wait, why is the definition for a thing different in different 
I'm sure there's a very good reason for it, but from the outside, you're like, well, this isn't going to help the confusion aspect of all of <laughs> I don't get it. Multiple people can be right. And of course, you're like, no, we're common law because of this, and we're common law because of this. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's not ideal. <laughs> not ideal. Um, I found a, a just with you, well, you guys were talking, it was like a really good opportunity for me to talk about total net worth again. Like one of my <laughs> never ending. <laughs> Uh, never-ending themes that I love to come back to, but I, I, it was reignited kind of this week. I was chatting with somebody who works a lot with creative people and people that you know just holistic sense of their money is a very good language to kind of talk about. And he works on the business side, but um, he really talks in terms of uh, when people are gathering clarity on that part of the life. He uses the term resources a lot, as opposed to just kind of specifically assets. And I liked it, and it also just made me think more about how valuable it can be as an exercise, just to start bringing more awareness to the resources in your life, whatever they are. Um, and I'm, you know, that includes all the normal assets, includes all the insurance and all of the, all of the accounts and all of that stuff, but it can also include things like your partner. Um, it can also include things like, you know, your parents, it can include things like your children, whatever those assets are and kind of how they connect and the, the <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All your all your children assets um but what why well, i think that's valuable because I, I think that we silo the parts of our discussion the parts of ourselves so much is that when you start to just even have that name on the same thing i think it's easier to see the connection when you when you say okay if i delete this partner off of my resources list clearly the effect is going to have something just in the same way as if i delete my mortgage off my resource list or my asset my deal liability list or i de delete my tfsa off the balance shifts and i need to change something so by adding that name even just kind of starting to kind of connect some of these things it's not unrelated it's incredibly related as you guys were just recounting and it's like I think that there's a valuable mental exercise and just kind of starting to combine those things and how they relate so that when it diminishes, you can just start to kind of see the relationships between things. I don't know. I find that really interesting. And I think for some people, not everybody, some people, I think that that might be an interesting and, and maybe even more attractive way to start looking at like knowing your numbers and just kind of like knowing your resources and making that a part of what you kind of ground yourself in if, if, and I'm going to get super artsy fartsy now, but like, uh, you know, a lot of people have a gratitude practice. A lot of people have grounding kind of things that they do to kind of check in with their life and what is good in it. And you can add that to part of what that practice is. Um, I, I just think there's ways to kind of knowing your numbers doesn't have to be tracking your net worth, mm. um, but it can be. And some people love tracking your net worth and that's great. And tracking your net worth, this is one of the most like convincing arguments that I've heard in a while for something that's like really valuable. It's like, no, no, I can track it. I can go back there. I know my numbers there. I know my numbers now. Um, but it can be more than that. It can be more holistic. And I think that it does fit into this conversation. It could be interesting um, information to have. I love it. I hate the word resources huh? applying to other people. <laughs> Why? Oh, it feels so people. extractive. Like you're, it's not, that's not the, that's not the point. That was not the, the thrust of the argument at all. But I just, every time I hear resources applied to something that, yeah. I is, that. has reciprocal relationship, it, but I know exactly what you mean. And it's just silly for me mm -hmm. to split hairs over. Well, look, the words that resonate the way the words resonate. It doesn't, it, it feels better to me than assets. Well, I, yes. I assets. And I obviously like, we're talking about people, but resources, I, I like that word more. But yeah, I can see why it's like, this is my...
copper resources. There's my freshwater resource. No, that, that's dumb. And I derailed us. That, <laughs> that concept of you and what you are able to do with your life and how you, how resilient you may be or how, what you have to, uh, what you have surrounding you that enables you to get through something um, is more than just your emergency fund and recognizing it's, there's a real difference between, let's just say like the risk tolerance of a single person living in a city where they don't know anybody or in a town, whatever, like living somewhere where they don't know anybody and a single person living in an area where they have lifelong friends and family members and a really close set of people that they have developed over the years. Like those are two separate even though they might have the same income, the same net worth, the same skills, everything else, they have very different risk profiles. If you get sick and you're on your own and you don't have anybody else in the city, what do you do? I was at York. My parents drove for seven hours to come and get me because I had oh, strep and mono and all sorts of stuff. I was a mess, but I was alone. Nobody like if until they got there, I was just like crying in my dorm room. <laughs> I had a similar experience in Montreal. <laughs> My mom driving like six hours to come like scrape me off the floor with illness. Yeah. yeah. But she washed all my stuff, took all my laundry home. It was very bad, but also very sweet. It's a very happy time. <laughs> so it is, I mean, really, who you have around you that you can call on and see, it's, we talked about this too. So you're, you're also... So if, if you just look at them as resources or assets, oh yes, I could draw on all these people. But of course you have to invest in those relationships. Ideally not because you think you're going to be able to draw on them later on, yeah. but because that's what you do with relationships. Yeah. <laughs> but you are, you, that's part of your time and energy commitment has to be to nurturing those relationships in your life because, because yeah. that's what you do with them or they die. Yeah. I, I'm tempted to go into a whole, tangent about how it's like automating your TFSA contributions. But I, I have another question that's a little bit more kind of <laughs> on the, on the, like uh, on the, in the kind of theme of, of separation and, and relationship kind of ending. And I, I'd be interested just kind of hear your thoughts, both of you on kind of like in your own lives, the right answer versus what you're actually doing. <laughs> You know, when I think about this and I'll, I'll start, it's just like, you know, we just got married this last year and um, I am not thinking about separation. I'm not kind of considering that. And that's a hard thing for me to kind of even roll around in my head. So like thinking about that, like it's, it's much easier just to kind of put myself in the place of the people that may be listening and, and are thinking it's like, it's really way easier just to kind of talk about, oh yeah, you know, just knowing these things and having these numbers and kind of separation in your head. And like, uh, you know, I, I can say from my own experiences, like it's, it, that's not necessarily how, how we're looking at it. Um, and I, I'm kind of interested to hear a little bit more about kind of for you guys, what the right answers would be. What would be the, like, what's the right, what's the perfect answer for me is kind of like entering in my, I'm in my first year of marriage. You've been together for six years. What, what's the like textbook answer of what I should have in place for my relationship for maximum financial stability. Don't, the uh, maximum maximum financial stability is don't get divorced. That's like. <laughs> wait, sorry, I need to write that down. 
for real. <laughs> there's, there's, I remember this. I can't. I have no idea who wrote it or what it was about, but it was essentially the difference between, you know, this person's financial stability and that person's financial instability is that person got divorced and had to split their assets and pay legal fees. So what? Oh, well, what a stupid answer. But I mean, honestly, if you're in a relationship, and, and, and obviously, if you can't be in it anymore for any number of reasons that have nothing to do with your finances you leave it that's regardless of what the right financial choice is aside from that you stay in the relationship because you decided to be in the relationship so what why wouldn't you keep investing in the relationship that's not a helpful answer well it's it's helpful um i feel like the only thing i would look at not even actually from a separation perspective so i'm not even answering your question is <laughs> would be things like, like oh what happens if one of us gets sick and can't work for a while yeah. or for a long while just what does that look like yeah. for our money and the dynamic that we have and like how we support each other in non-financial ways like the person that takes on different aspects of work at home or whatever it is yeah i feel like yeah, that's a a thing that I would like advise as a technical person for someone <laughs> no, in a in a committed relationship to yeah, to not just look at oh what happens if we need to get out, but what happens if we're still in it, but things like really, really change. And then that's actually where those other um I want to find another word for resources, but I can't. But those other things come into the picture because say your partner gets sick and like, oh, so don't have their income anymore. But oh, their parents live nearby. And I know that they would help with certain things or their parents don't live anywhere nearby. So I know that I would not only be supporting them financially, but I'd also be supporting them yeah. in a lot of like other ways or, you know. Yeah. That's outstanding. I mean, all the talking all the time is basically my MO. So. Um, I am, I am behind that. I'm pointing up like, like number one, this is a video and number two, everybody else has the same orientation. But what she said is, yes, I am a thousand times behind that. It's, it's interesting. And, and it does link kind of into the, the couple money bits and kind of getting to see everybody's different lives and how the different ways everybody's kind of vulnerable to different surprises when it comes to like, oh, that person's not there or that person can't do what they were doing before. Um, oh, that's really different. And, and I don't know if you can see all the different surprises, but it's, it's interesting with the way Mimi and I kind of work, it will go through periods where she's really busy and I'm doing a lot more of the domestic tasks. So I'm doing like a lot more of the cooking and the cleaning. And then all of a sudden you realize that during that period of time where you were really busy and always talking about how you had you know, no time to do anything, how much was getting done. You're like, oh shoot, oh man, right all this stuff uh and it's nice right now that our balance is a little bit more back and forth you kind of get to see the other side and uh, <laughs> I always refer to the other person as the house hippo so who's ever being the house hippo at, at any given moment um and then the other person's kind of busier and so that it, it, it's part of I think what you're saying Kate is that like mm -hmm. just even those little things doesn't have to be like imagining and I love I love the way you said it because it's not this like imagine you as a single person and what that would look like and and like because that that's a hard energy to bring in uh, yeah no one wants to order pizza like open a bottle of wine and be like so we break <laughs> up <laughs> then what 
but this is a much easier door to walk into like very similar conversations. I think that's an easier way to start it. Yeah. I love it so much. And, and the other situation I was going to bring up too, just because I, I think it's interesting is in this kind of realm is that Mimi and I bought property together when we were still dating uh, and when we were dating for about three years. And it was one of these situations where like, uh, I wrote about it on my blog if anybody's interested in like reading through it, but like, she wanted to buy a piece, of, a piece of property and because the bank didn't allow these things and self-employed, blah, 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 blah. I had to come on to just like nudge it like an inch over the line. And we we're in a relationship where we were like, look, we're in this, you know, that's the plan. But we also were like, lots of people think that that's the plan. You know, lots of people are together for three years and they're like, no, no, this is going to work. And just acknowledging the fact that even though we feel we're different, most people think they're different. And so having, we just had a lot of conversations, which was hard at that time. We hadn't really just like, cause it really was framed. Like what if we're not together, what happens to this thing? You know, um, how do we talk to our lawyer about it? We kind of had an extra document added to kind of our legal paperwork um, he made us go see another lawyer. So to make sure that I had a separate lawyer to check over that paperwork. So independent that independent financial advice, independent financial advice, independent mm -hmm. legal advice, um, which was just good to go through that exercise. And it made us, and especially me, because like I was the one who was not putting in most of the money. I was not really doing much, but I was exposing myself to liability. Um, and at the same time, just was really my big kind of thrust was I don't want to I want this paperwork to represent the situation as much as possible. So like, I want us to be clear on it. I want it to just say it somewhere, whether or not, you know, jerk Chris in the future could come back and challenge those things and go to the light of the law, but just to kind of like freeze this moment in time and try to really say, this is the reality of how we went through this process. This is what we want it to look like. Um, it was a, it was a good series of conversations, but it was difficult even for, for us um, because it really did come with this, like what if we don't make it parentheses around the conversation, mm -hmm. it was hard to not have that. Um, but I'm really glad we did it. Uh, even it just, it would have been way more stressful to not, you know? I, I honestly do think that the difficult conversations are the ones that we're afraid of having because we think like, oh, what if it reminds somebody that I'm actually a terrible person and then they break up with me? Or like what, you know what I mean? What, like, what if we, what if there's some sort of, we've, we've got some balance here and I just put one extra pebble over here by talking about what would happen if we're not together and then the whole thing blows up. I feel like talk, you having an honest conversation with each other about what if this doesn't make it, not easy or fun, however, if that's the thing that's going to break you up, you might have a problem already. If, if talking about breaking up is going to break you up. Um, I will say this about Seth and I, we got married when we were very young. We've, I'm not that old. We've been together for 20 years and we married for 18 of them. Um, and the people we are now and not the same people <laughs> that got married to each other. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> And it is mostly just luck, but it turns out that I really like the person he turned into as well as the person that I married. <laughs> that didn't happen because we did all the right things, not by a long chalk. Um, 
And I, I'm sure that there are other personality types for whom this sounds like hell, but we talk about all the things and we have gone through enough. In, I mean, we've been underemployed, unemployed, students, maternity leave, self-employed, unemployed again, regular job, self-employed again, maternity leave again. Like we have done all the things in terms of how money comes in or doesn't come in and, and what's going on in our lives. And, um, and the, the only thing really, the only reason that we're still kind of fond of each other, even though we're totally different now, <laughs> is because we just keep talking. We just don't stop talking about the stuff that we don't like or do like or want to like eventually. Uh, and that to me, <laughs> I don't know how else to do it. I honestly, it's a little, it's like a little like horse blinders. I, the only way I know to be in a relationship with somebody is to talk about all the things all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and my experience is like what you said about that fear is really real to me. That, that sense of like, I have that fear of like, what if this is one pebble too many, even within a relationship that, you know, I believe, no, it is, it's really good. It's, a, it, you know, it, and I don't think that, I know since you get it out that it's not one pebble too far, but I also think that it's worth kind of adding in, um, because we've been having lots of conversations about communication in general over the last week, is that if you can't communicate about this, and some people can't, that's where third-party help can help. You know, whether that's somebody to help facilitate a really difficult conversation. And, and when it's something like this, maybe that's a lawyer, maybe that's a financial planner, maybe that's a therapist. I don't know who that is on, on your team or, or who that is potentially on your team. But if if that feels impossible, like that's, that's what having a third person in the room or a bigger team can help happen is to take some of those things and just, uh, just help facilitate that conversation, both with technical knowledge and just with, it's not them. It's way easier to help somebody else than it is to kind of wade through it on your own. So like, if you're not a talk all the time person and you just don't have that functionality, like it's, that's okay. There's lots of ways to, to do this, but maybe having an extra person might help them. Mm. Yeah. And, well, an extra person who is, and of course this goes down to like money and privilege too. Well, sure. Wouldn't it be great if we could all hire like a marriage counselor or a therapist or whatever. Um, but you do have to be, you can, you can build that kind of thing without having to hire a professional. The problem is, somebody is going to think that they're being ganged up on even when you're with even if you're working with a counselor or a therapist somebody is going to come away from some set of conversations feeling like oh my goodness i'm being ganged up on and maybe it's because they're actually wrong <laughs> could be it might actually be the case it's communication's not simple you know there's not a just talk about it you know but that's not that's not the move like the reason things are hard to talk about especially things that are super hard is because there's often deeply rooted in fear and shame and all of that stuff that is just resisting every motion to kind of be exposed to the sun it, you know yeah it's privilege it, it, you're t- definitely right but i do think it's valuable to note the right times to bring somebody in and the times when you're just like when is the right time for that tool 
when is the right time when it's worth the time and energy that it takes to find the right therapist, to find the right planner, to find the right, because it's got to be the right person who can step into the group and kind of find, you know, especially when we're talking about communication, you can't just find somebody that's just going to drop a bunch of technical words in front of you, you know, it's more than that. I guess my kind of underlying point is just like, identifying the right problem and the right tools is a big part of what you can do. Um, so, yeah. And to just remembering that like hard things are hard because they're hard and we don't have to be good at these conversations. Like, I think that sounds really obvious to say it, but I don't think we realize any conversation with a partner, whether it's about like, the status of your relationship or a mental health thing. It doesn't matter what it is. You don't have to be good at having these conversations. Like no one's good at them, especially at the beginning. If like any words are falling out of your mouth related to the topic, like, great, that's a start. Like we don't have to be perfect at expressing ourselves. You can just try. And another thing that popped into my head talking about kind of third party and the right time for that. And maybe you don't have the resources to hire someone is I could see, because um, I think I've inadvertently used this in my life, is that maybe you watch something like a show together that touches on that topic, whatever it is that you want to deal with, or you read, you both read a book that touches on that thing. And now it's like you have a third party prompting the conversation because you can watch something play out on screen and you can kind of talk about it. And you're not actually talking about yourselves. You're kind of like critiquing how these people dealt with it and that can lead to a conversation of oh what would we do if that happened and it might tell you a lot about your partner to see how they respond to this couple breaking up on tv and like how what's happening with their money and that can be a way to bring light to something that's happening without explicitly having to say it either because for a lot of reasons you just don't have um you might be too scared to bring it up. Like you might be in an abusive relationship and that's difficult or a toxic relationship that you're not really sure how to navigate or how to get out of. You don't have the social capital. You don't have the support, whatever it is. Um, I think that's one thing I've seen some people do that could be a helpful way to like experiment with the third party without actually hiring a third party. That's superb. Babe, you're just... I'm glad that popped in my brain. Bring in all the wisdom this morning. And most times I ever talk to you, really? <laughs> <laughs> but I think I'm like, I'm similar to Sandy in that I'm a talk all the time about all the things person. Or that's what I, that's what my nature is. So if I'm not, there's kind of like something wrong. But my experience in, I'm not um, in a relationship right now, but in past relationships is I talk about money stuff like early and often. And I've had talks with previous partners about um, who sort of owns what. And even just tossing out the idea, one partner, about like buying a place together. Or actually the partner that I was living with that we were technically common law. Um, he owned that place and he bought that while we were together. And I remember bringing up with him like, okay, this is yours. Like, I don't want any part of this and kind of like, this is why. and um like laying out things like that I think because seeing my parents go through a divorce and I've seen my dad go through a couple divorces and I've seen how certain things play out I'm more open about it even if it's awkward but hopefully it's not I feel like 
by bringing it up frequently in little ways, it was kind of less of a big thing. I don't know. So yeah, it's not overly helpful that Sandy and I approach things similarly, but. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice to have the validation. I gave good advice before this, so I'm done. (laughs) No, honestly though, like, so I mean, always they talk, we did this completely wrong. Seth and I never talked about money, not even for a second. We didn't talk about who was going to do what in the house. We didn't do any of those things because we were teenagers anyways. But they, I mean, even if you're not a talker, you can't not talk about stuff. You, <laughs> so useful. Oh my goodness, I'm just trying to be as wise as Kate. But if you, listen, there's a certain group of people that are listening to this podcast, okay? So we know we're not addressing the whole universe already. We're <laughs> practically just talking to Seth and my mom. However, She's not listening either. It's okay. It's just Seth. Um, if you listen to this podcast, <laughs> hi, honey. <laughs> Love you. If you're listening to this podcast and you actually really are thinking about, oh, how can I make my relationship with my partner better about money or maybe to break up or whatever, talk about money. Like, that, I think we have not hid the fact that even if you're not a person who talks through things, talking about those things, however you do it, if it's, yeah, you watch, some show that's an awesome idea or you just start talking about it there's we don't talk about money for stupid reasons it, we are all culturally conditioned that talking about money is somehow gold digging or boring or like taboo like so talk about it that's here endeth the lesson <laughs> and you don't have to talk about the other person's money you could just talk about yours like if you're dating someone you can say things like, oh, I'm thinking about buying this thing, but I don't know if I should. And you can talk about like how you go through that decision. It doesn't have to be about them and their money at all. Like you don't have to sit down and be like, so what's your risk tolerance? <laughs> like, have I like got a point questionnaire that I would like you to fill out, please? Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's, that's a really good, that's a really good point. I was just working with somebody who was in a very much a non-money communicator relationship. And one of the things we talked about was just like, just make your work a little louder the stuff that you're already working on and not in a, like a, see what I'm doing, but just be like, I'm vacuuming now. (laughs) Like she, she was doing some beautiful things, drawing out some both goals and, and like savings things. I mean, like, just put that up, you know, put that up in the house, work on it in the living room, um, work on it, you know, in bed when like, it just don't hide it. And even that's part of the conversation that can just be like, I'm just doing this right now. Or, and, and, and also I think, you know, in an unequal, and we're kind of bouncing around all over the place about different partnerships, but when, when one person is really quiet and one person does a lot, be open about the things that you're worried about. Cause I think that some, a lot of the time it can seem like you've got all your stuff together and maybe they might feel like they don't. And so, you know, don't be shy if you feel comfortable just talking about the things that you're nervous about or the things that you don't feel like you know anything about and you're learning about and like, you're like, oh man, it's like, there's still lots I don't know. I, I think all of that can really be a part of this, but it's really like, it's throwing spaghetti at the wall at this point. It's just, you know, things don't get better if you don't try something. And it's interesting that, you know, it really became more about couple communication than it did about specifically separation. But I think... <laughs> 
I wonder if there were any certified therapists in our midst. I think that communication and relationship health are fairly linked um, across the board. You know, Sandy is giving me the great point, Chris, look. Um, not, not the one she gave to Kate before, where she was like, great point, but the like, yeah, you're killing it, Chris. You totally said it. Oh, no. <laughs> Golf clap. Golf clap. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. I'm Chris Entz, and I'm an advice-only financial planner at ragstoreasonable.com. And I'm Sandy Martin. I'm an advice-only financial planner at springplans.ca. I'm Kate Smalley. I'm a financial marketer, and you can find me and all my links at katesmalley.com. If you liked what you heard, please go to iTunes and leave us a fantastic review. It helps us help more people find the podcast. And if you really like what you heard, check us out at Patreon, Patreon slash Because Money, and uh, donate a small amount per podcast. It helps us keep the show running. Have a great week. <laughs>